Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 8th, we are studying Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The prophet opens the chapter with a tragic word, woe. The situation of death that we heard in the previous chapter remains. For God's people have heard the prophets preaching, but they have not returned. They have not repented. They remain complacent in their sins against God and against neighbor. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dan Speckard. Pastor Speckard serves at Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Pastor Speckard, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Pastor Speckard, as we get started this morning, bring us up to speed on some context. Where have we been in the book of Amos that brings us to this point? Yeah, so as, um, as you've covered this week, uh, you know, the book began with, you know, these, these judgments uh, by God through Amos against the nations. And then, uh, of course, when you get to Judah and Israel, um, it's kind of a special case because uh, these are God's people. They have a relationship uh, with uh, their creator, uh, the ones, you know, with whom uh, God had made a covenant. Um, and so the judgment he has against them comes with um, a, little, a little bit of hope, uh, you would think, because uh, he had made promises to them regarding uh, forgiveness and redemption, and there's an opportunity uh, to them that's not available to uh, the other nations at this point. Um, but then you get into, into chapter 5, uh, or so, and you discover that uh, in spite of that opportunity, uh, in spite of the fact that uh, they could um, return to the Lord and uh, have that relationship restored, uh, they're not. They're just not doing it. They're um, sort of reveling in their uh, disobedience uh, and going their own way. Uh, and so where we're picking up today is kind of a continuation of uh, what began in, in chapter 5, verse 18, uh, where, you know, the Lord has has made it clear uh, that his people aren't returning. Um, and so now the day of the Lord uh, is not going to go well uh, for them. Um, and you get the sense that for them in particular, because not only did they uh, live wickedly and thus deserve God's wrath, but they had a chance to repent uh, and, and be restored and, you know, wantonly neglected that chance. And so... Um, yeah, our, our prayer could be today, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, beginning with woe. Um, I mean, that's exactly what this is. This is uh, woe to you who had, a, um, who had hope and rejected it. You, you brought up chapter 5, verse 18, where it talks about the day of the Lord very specifically. And, and of course, the, the series that we're a part of right now talks about the day of the Lord that's coming. This is a theme for the book of Amos. We looked at it at length in that particular text in five eighteen through 20. The day is going to come up again. Any, any comments on the day and how that fits into the theme of Amos and the text we've got today? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, if, you're, if you're familiar with uh, the, the Hebrew Scriptures and, and sort of the, the nature of uh, prophetic scope, um, you know, it's kind of a cool thing to sit here in 2019 and hear that that language of the day of the Lord uh, and recognize the um, sort of the, the multiple uh, or ascending fulfillments of it, where, um, you know, we hear the day of the Lord in the New Testament Church and quite rightly uh, look ahead uh, to our Lord's return, sort of the eschaton, um, of course, the day of the Lord, um, the, the, the pinnacle of it uh, is the cross of Christ, as we'll discuss. Um, but for the Israelites here, uh, the day of the Lord is going to turn out to be, as Amos uh, is warning them, uh, this impending conquest uh, when, um, you know, after generations of, of sort of withholding his, uh, his wrath uh, against his people, because this is not the first time that they've that they've been wicked or faithless. 
um, he is finally going to let them uh, let them get what they deserve. And for the Israelites in the northern kingdom, that's going to be uh, the Assyrian conquest in 722. Um, but of course, the prophet Amos, uh, as we'll as we'll see, um, uh, would have you know would have been um, keeping in mind Judah as well. Uh, and even more famously, the the Babylonian captivity, which would begin in 587, uh, would be sort of that day of reckoning uh, for the southern kingdom. So, um, you know, and, and with within the the context of Amos, uh, we do well to remember that the day of the Lord, um, it wasn't always going to be bad. You know, for God's people, God exercising His strength and His might um, ought not be uh, something to fear. Um, any more than a, a child would fear his father, uh, exercising his strength or his might, unless the child uh, has made himself the object of the wrath, which, uh, unfortunately, is precisely what the Israelites, um, precisely what they had done. Mm. You, I think maybe we could say that the reason the people of Israel at this time during Amos's day need to fear the day of the Lord is because they have not first feared the Lord truly and correctly. They've not feared him as sons rather they've just neglected him entirely and in so doing they've they've neglected their neighbor so the day of the lord really does function as both law and gospel depending on on where you are what's the condition of your heart whether you're repentant or not and and amos is doing both things within his prophecy the great majority of it is the law function of the day of the lord but the gospel's coming Right, I mean, so yeah. we, he's got both things going on, right, Pastor Speckard? Oh, absolutely, and and um, you know, we'll talk about it I've, as I've been listening to the uh, the other segments in this series. Um, you know, I, I think all of us we we desperately want to uh, remind everyone that you know, get to the end of chapter nine, the very end of the uh, the book, and there's really, really beautiful, flowing gospel. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think it's important to. Um, to kind of let these passages uh, exist as they are. I mean, as we'll see, um, you know, a, a big part of the problem for the Israelites is that uh, as God's chosen people, for them the gospel uh, should have been, you know, kind of the the foundation of their lives, not just uh, their worship, but as you noted, the way that they're treating their neighbors, and particularly the poor and the needy. Um, they shouldn't have... Um, they shouldn't have needed to be reminded uh, of the gospel and the promise uh, regarding the Messiah. Uh, they should have been living that promise, um, and, and they weren't. And so it's no surprise that in, in this portion of the book, uh, you don't have Amos, Amos um, uh, sort of prefacing every, uh, every bit of law with, you know, hey, God still loves you, but you failed. Um, they should have known that God loved them. Uh, it's precisely their rejection of his love and his mercy uh, that they weren't fearing and loving and trusting him, as, as you know, we think about it in terms of the first commandment. Um, it's precisely that that was their problem. So, yeah, the gospel's there, but uh, particularly as we take it in small sections, um, it's pretty heavy law. Mm. Well, let's take a look then at what we've got before us today here in Amos chapter 6. This is verses 1 through 7. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory, O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence? Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. There is the text that we've got before us. Pastor Speckard, any, any just opening overall comments before we dig into the text in detail? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, 
the, the first thing that struck me when uh, uh, I found out this was the text we'd be studying is that it's, it's a familiar text, um, which is kind of a surprising thing. I mean, Amos is a minor prophet, and um, uh, it's not one that we would necessarily uh, expect to know very well, but uh, it's part of our uh, three-year lectionary, and uh, even though this past year, uh, here in year C, we would have had it fairly recently, but I think that a lot of your uh, listeners would have had that um, that particular uh, Sunday was was superseded by um, Michael Noss, um, so they might not have heard this reading. But I, for a lot of us, I think that we we probably have heard this before, um, which I think is a really cool thing. Uh, maybe a um, a tick in the pro column uh, for the three year lectionary because with the historic lectionary, um, uh, which of course is is great in its own right. Uh, but the only time you're in Amos is, is you know, just once, and it's an optional text, an epiphany, uh, and it's just the final, the final verses. And it's, um, it's kind of a funny thing. You can imagine the prophet Amos, you know, if he knew that you know, all the church were, was hearing of his, uh, of his preaching was the, uh, the last bit. I mean, on the one hand, if you had to choose, that's the part to have, no doubt. Um, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't maybe do justice to the entirety of the, the, the book. And so I think that uh, um, the three-year lectionary, which, which makes use of Amos uh, a handful of times, um, not just here but also um, in a couple of other, other places, um, I think that's a really great thing uh, that I, I bet a lot of your readers listening today, or readers, listeners uh, listening today, um, have heard it and, and know these words at least, uh, at least a little bit, which is, um, I think kind of a cool thing. Yeah, so so this is a text that does show up in the three-year lectionary. It gets paired with Jesus' parable of, or, well, he doesn't actually say it's a parable, does he? It's, it's from Luke 16 where he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, and we, we may we may bring that up later. So it is a, a text that we've maybe heard, we're, we're a little familiar with um, from from what we heard in church. It's a it's a good thing, of course, to be familiar with these, these prophets. This is God's word to us. I, I once had a a professor in college, I think he was talking about Nahum, actually, but it applies to, to Amos too. One, one day in eternity, we will we will meet Amos, and we we ought to be able to tell him, "Thanks for writing that book." You know, yeah. um, so so it's good that we spend time in, in Amos, and it's good that this text does show up in the three year lectionary. So let's let's dig into it now. Um, it, it starts with this woe, as as we've mentioned a couple times already, and this woe is directed in, in a twofold way, and, and as we've seen previously in the book of Amos. He's primarily directed against the northern kingdom, Israel. But here we do have a specific mention of, of woe, not only against the northern kingdom, but also against the southern kingdom. What's going on here in verse 1, Pastor Specker? Yeah, I mean, that's an important aspect of, of the whole book, um, as you've uh, discussed previously. You know, Amos is, is preaching primarily uh, to the northern kingdom, but he's from the southern kingdom. And so, um, uh, you know, particularly with, with this type of uh, indictment, as we're about to see. I mean, this applies to to all of God's people. Um, Judah is not uh, not blameless here, and uh, uh, the same the same warning against Israel, uh, they would have done well to uh, to hear and to heed. And of course, we know um, they didn't, and they would they would meet a similar fate. But um, uh, yeah, right off the bat, you know, woe to those uh, not only in Zion but also Samaria. I mean, this is the you know, the kingdom is divided. Uh, God's people have have um, uh, rendered themselves, uh, but you almost have God dealing with them as one here, um, uh, both in terms of, um, you know, the, the condemnation, but also, of course, later with respect to the, uh, the redemption. So um, no question here. There's no, <laughs> there's no Judeans listening to this and saying, oh, good, this isn't for me. Uh, this, is for, this is for all the chosen. And so the word to both is woe. What's the, and, and woe, W-O-E. I realized earlier when I just said the word woe, it might have sounded like W-H-O-A, you know, woe. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is woe, W-O-E. Pastor Speckard, what, what is the prophet's message with that word woe? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting word, and I think it's one that we, you know, we, we hear in the Bible, um, and we, we know that it's bad, but uh, maybe don't have... Uh, opportunity too often to, to think about uh, what does it actually mean. And I think that uh, uh, it's important to recognize that 
most of the time you see woe being pronounced by the prophets, uh, or, or of course Jesus would uh, would make use of that. Um, uh, it's not just impending disaster. It's not just something bad is is um, going to happen. I mean, that's a part of it. Uh, but it's typically used uh, against those for whom, uh, you know, impending disaster is there, but they should have had a chance to deal with it. Uh, they should have been better prepared. Uh, they should have done something differently or not done something. Uh, typically, it's they should have uh, repented, um, and they opted not to, right? So this isn't just the... Um, uh, you know, like a, an earthquake that you can't possibly see coming and, and uh, you know, it's just um, sort of spring, you know, sprung upon you. Uh, this is, the, this is the, the hurricane in the ocean that the, the forecasters uh, have been saying for weeks, you know, you need to get, uh, get inland, you need to get up uh, into the hills, um, and the people have it. You know, there's just, they're just sitting there um, waiting for it. Um, so it's to those people, I think the word is, is complacent. It's to the complacent uh, that woes are typically pronounced. Um, and, and there's a, you know, a few really dynamic examples throughout the scriptures um, of that. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe most dynamically, we just had um, All Saints Day. And we heard the Beatitudes from, most of us will have heard the Beatitudes from Matthew uh, chapter 5. Um, in Luke, you have the Beatitudes pronounced by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, um, but they're paired with woes. So Jesus says, you know, blessed are you who are poor. And then he says, woe to you who are rich. Uh, blessed are you who are hungry. Woe to you who are full. Uh, blessed are you who weep. Woe to you who laugh now. Uh, blessed are you when people hate you. Um, and he goes on and on. Woe to you when all speak well of you, uh, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Um, and so you just have this, uh, again, it's not just that something, something bad is coming. Um, it's that something bad is coming, and you could have avoided it, but you didn't. Um, hence, whoa. So, and I think that's a very helpful ob- observation, but I want to talk a little bit of that complacency that you brought up. And, and those examples from Luke chapter 6, I think, fit very well with Amos, particularly the first two, that, where Jesus says, woe to the rich, woe to those who are, are full now. What, the question I want to ask is, what, what kind of complacency are we talking about? Because typically, people who are rich or full aren't complacent. I mean, I think you probably wouldn't label those people as complacent, at least in one sense. So what sort of complacency are we talking about here in Amos? Yeah, that's a great question, because you're right. I mean, in, in order to um, uh, reach the top of the ladder in this world, uh, you typically do. You're, you're hardworking or you're, um, you're energetic, you're you know, type A, um, not, not the sort of thing we would normally label complacent. Uh, but when we're talking about complacency here, it's with respect to uh, God's law and, and his directive for his people. And uh, as for the Israelites, so it is for us. Um, God has not commanded his people to uh, do as well as they can in this life with respect to earthly treasure. Um, you know, it's not a race to the top uh, for, for the chosen uh, of God, but rather uh, his, his commands are fairly simple uh, with respect to uh, loving him and serving our neighbor. And it's complacency on that front uh, that has really gotten the... Um, the Israelites and, and, and also Judah into trouble here, because, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the, the history of, uh, of the chosen people, they, you know, at the time of Amos, they're in this sort of surprising uh, period of, extended period of peace um, and prosperity, um, which is odd, because the, the kingdom is split. Um, you, you would expect, uh, as they had gone through earlier, you would expect, you know, strife and turmoil, but for whatever reason, things are going very, very well. Um, but in the are sort of in the in the in those circumstances, um, the Israelites have allowed it to become a situation where it's going well for the the rich, uh, it's going well for the powerful, uh, it's going well for those with authority, um, not so much uh, for the poor and the needy. Which you know, if you've read any of the Old Testament you know, that God gives particular care and instructed the Israelites to give particular care uh, to the downtrodden in their midst, the sojourner, the widow, uh, the, uh, the childless. And 
it's on that front that the Israelites had become totally complacent. Um, and maybe complacent is putting it too softly. You, you might say they become um, sort of absolutely um, insubordinate, but they're rather than caring for the rich, are caring for the needy. Uh, the rich are, are in fact preying on the needy, um, and we'll talk about that as, as we see maybe in, in verse three um, what that looks like. Mm. So, particularly in view, then in in this section of Amos and really throughout. In verse 1, you've got these notable men of the first of the nations, those who are leaders, those who are rich. We, we've said, what's what's going on that, that those are the folks that Amos particularly calls out here in the first verse? Yeah, so, the, you know, this is a, a really vocational um, sort of proclamation by the prophet here uh, that, you know, earlier in, in chapter 5, you have the day of the Lord is coming, it's going to go poorly, and maybe here in chapter 6, you begin to see why, um, and and the answer is uh, the 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 men that God had given responsibility to uh, to look after the spiritual well being of His people uh, were were totally neglecting that task. Um, you know the notable men God doesn't God doesn't put people in high positions for their own sake for their own glorification, uh, but rather that they might serve uh, the people under them. The you know the the typical sort of scriptural understanding of authority is that it always comes with accountability. And, uh, you know, God had given to the Israelites, um, you know, judges and then kings, and then certainly on the spiritual side, uh, the Levites and the priests, you know, they they had been given uh, a great deal of uh, power, but that power was to be used for the benefit of the people, for their care. Uh, and th- that's not what was happening. And so, yeah, this um, this neglect of vocation is going to lead to a very, kind of a very narrow proclamation of law in this particular passage, uh, where the prophet is, is sort of um, narrowing it down, you know, specifically to the leaders in Israel, spiritual and temporal, who had uh, become complacent, um, and because of whom all of Israel was going to suffer. So here we've got a, a fourth commandment connection, the matter of the authority that God grants, um, and fourth commandment not from the perspective of those who are under the authority and how they are to honor it, but rather the fourth commandment from the perspective of those who've been given the authority and, and how they are to use it. So when we think about those who, who might find themselves in verse 1 today, we're, we're probably talking about those who've been granted that authority by the fourth commandment and the way they they use it today who, who are we talking about pastor Spiker? Oh, totally and, and so uh yeah you can just sort of think through the um uh, the table of duties and 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 you know luther highlights for us the the, the people to whom god has given a vocational authority so within the context of the uh, of a marriage we think to ephesians 5 you know so husbands ought to uh, as the head of uh, of the uh, their wife they ought to um sort of be listening up. And then within the context of uh, a family, parents, and fathers uh, in particular, uh, you know, they're not given authority over their children that they might lord it over them, but rather uh, that they might raise them up according to what God has given. Uh, within the context of a congregation, um, you know, this passage, the, the, the end of it in particular, uh, is really, um, uh, you know, I shouldn't say alarming, but um, ought to to strike pastors as very, very applicable. Um, you know, the religious leadership uh, of God's church today. Um, and then, of course, in the in the world, um, anybody to whom God has granted authority from local government all the way up to the, the president of the United States, um, anyone who is out there using those positions to elevate themselves, uh, and maybe we'll talk about how, you know, the, the dynamic in play that in order to elevate ourselves, we almost by necessity need to keep others down. Um, well, that's the exact opposite of why God gives uh, authority. And um, now is the time of accountability. Uh, that's what the day of the Lord is, in a sense. Uh, and it's, um, it's not going to go well. There's a right way to use authority. There's a wrong way to use authority. We've looked a little bit at the wrong. Maybe we can look some at the right, too, but we'll do that on the other side of the break, which we'll take right now. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUL. We'll be right back.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Daily Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, November 8th, we're looking at Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 with Pastor Dan Speckard of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Pastor Speckard, prior to the break, we looked at verse 1 of the text, and we were looking at authority and, and its proper use and its its misuse, as we were seeing here among the people of Israel. And I think those those themes are, continue, are going to continue to come up here in the chapter. So I'm going to push us forward a little bit to make sure that we, we keep digging into the text. So, so after the prophet speaks this woe in verse 1, particularly to these leaders in Israel, then he, he invites them to go to a few cities and, and take a look at them and, and compare themselves to these cities. What's, what's going on there in verses 2 and then into to verse 3? Yeah, so, so verse 2, um, you know, just very quickly, the, these, these other cities, Kalna and, and Hamath and Gath, um, are you know, presumably kingdoms or, or city-states with which the Israelites would have been familiar, and they would have known uh, that these are um, peoples stronger, greater, mightier than, than we are, um, and yet the implication uh, from Amos is that they, they have suffered uh, a, a fate uh, with respect to, um, you know, destruction and, and uh, that sort of thing. And so the prophet's point is essentially, who do you think that you are, uh, you little people of Israel, uh, if these other places could fall, uh, surely uh, so also can you. Um, which is a very, I mean, a very scriptural, um, uh, very typical sort of warning against pride. Um, you know, I think we all know pretty well First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Um, I, I had Greek readings with Walter Meyer II, uh, who recently passed away, and he would always quote from the King James, you know, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Uh, he said that probably every class period. Uh, at seminary, and uh, it's something that seminarians do well to hear often. Um, you know, if you think that you're bigger than um, uh, the wrath of God, you know, if you think that you can take it, um, beware. Uh, look to see to the, you know, these bigger, stronger, mightier peoples uh, that we're not able to withstand. Yeah, and it seems then, as, as he continues into verse 3, that it, it wasn't only that they think they're bigger than the wrath of God or that they can take it, but it, it seems to think they can just avoid it for, forever. He, he names the people, you who put far away the day of disaster, as if they're trying to avoid it. They think it will, will never come. They can just kind of hold it out there at arm's length. And, and yet the prophet says what you're really doing is you're, you're bringing near this violence, the more you try to put it off, the, the closer it comes to you. What's, what's there in, in verse 3 is now the, the prophet names them in this way. Yeah, and there's that complacency again, you know, the, the put, put far away the day of disaster. Um, uh, you know, any student will know the, uh, the feeling of procrastination, and, you know, you, the exam feels like it's forever away at the start of the semester, and then by the end of the semester you haven't studied and it's tomorrow, and what are you going to do? Um, you know, that's, that's very much uh, the position the Israelites are in, that, um, you know, it's sort of a, a, an aspect of their complacency. They simply um, ceased to fear uh, the reality of what God had, had you know, promised to do, uh, you know, with respect to the law. And then, um, you know, the bringing near the seat of violence, I think it's kind of a, a, a multiple meanings here. Uh, you mentioned how in their complacency they've actually... Um, brought about the judgment. Uh, you know, they've brought the day of the Lord nearer. It's finally time for them to be 
held accountable, uh, and I think that's absolutely right. Uh, but also I think that describes a little bit the way that the, uh, the Israelites, and, and particularly the, the notable men, the leaders, um, had been sort of acting themselves. Uh, that there's almost this this um, irony that even as they uh, forgot about uh, the wrath of God who is above them, um, they dealt wrathfully uh, with the people beneath them, uh, right? So this is, even before they were complacent, the judgment against them was that they were neglecting uh, the needy, that they were uh, dealing harshly with the poor, uh, taking advantage uh, of, uh, of the righteous, um, and that's sort of the sort of the sad thing here uh, that these notable men, these leaders, um, were rather than using their power and their authority to protect and to care for the downtrodden, uh, had been uh, doing the exact opposite, um, being harsh, and now they are themselves going to be dealt with harshly. And I think that's a very um, uh, maybe of, of all the things in this passage uh, for me the most strikingly applicable, um, how we have that tendency to want to deal harshly with the people under our um, sort of umbrella of authority, or certainly the people that we feel have wronged us, um, but we don't want to be dealt harshly with uh, by God. Uh, but you can't have it both ways, and that's why the, um, the day of disaster uh, and the seat of violence, uh, they're coming, um, and they brought it upon themselves. So, so the solution to this, to to not dealing wrathfully or judgmentally with those who are underneath you or, or misusing the authority that God has given, is to recall that that you too are are under a judge. Some someone is is above you, and rightly recognizing that relationship, that's what then flows out into the relationship that we have with those who are, are under our authority. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, and that's something that's so vital for every, you know, every husband, every father, every mother, um, every, every uh, boss, every supervisor, uh, every pastor, um, every elected official, on and on and on. Uh, you know, temporal authority has has such a a way of going to our heads, um, and you know, as you said, it's a, it's totally a fourth commandment issue. Uh, and we think in terms of Romans chapter 13, uh, authority is given by God uh, according to his will, uh, and the prince or the king or the pastor uh, or the father who um, forgets that uh, is going to be dealt with harshly. Um, and and, and the, real, the real trouble is not just that he'll be dealt with harshly, uh, but that he endangers uh, the people that have been uh, given over to his care. Um, and that's, of course, the, the tragedy of the Assyrian conquest. You know, this passage makes it clear that the notable men have really dropped the ball, and now all the people um, are who would have had hope uh, of, of being restored, um, they're going to be scattered and destroyed. Mm. So as the text continues then, verse 4 brings up another woe. And so... I mean, maybe you can help me figure out how these go together. Verses 1 through 3 are a woe to those who are at ease, those who feel secure in both Zion and Samaria. And then and perhaps verses 4 through 7 describe a particular case of, of how that security, that complacency manifests itself. And, and well, I guess it's really verses 4 through 6. Really, really paint quite the picture of what this security and complacency look like. And it's it's really one big party, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, and and it's really a, a narrowing down here. You know, you can just picture the a, a, a teacher, you know, dressing down a classroom of students, and every student is wondering, well, who's really, who's the most guilty party here, um, and hoping it's not them. Well, in verses four through six, uh, the prophet, I mean, pulls the, the the primary party out, and it's the religious leadership. I mean, these the the language used here, the beds of ivory. Um, uh, the, the lambs, the calves, uh, the reference to David, uh, the bulls and the anointing, this is all priestly uh, worship, liturgical language. And so, you know, the, the uh, woe against the complacent in general still stands, but now we're having this particularly harsh condemnation uh, levied against 
the religious leadership, the priests uh, and the Levites who, um, you know, as you said, rather than, than serving God's people uh, and serving their Lord humbly and with reverence, uh, had given themselves over to, uh, yeah, what sounds like idleness and, and debauchery and um, pretty much the exact opposite of what God had uh, had instilled previously. So take us into some of the imagery that we see here then in, in verse 4. You, we've got beds of ivory. We've seen ivory previously in the book of Amos as a, a sign of just, you know, living the high life. Um, wh- what else do we see there in verse 4? Yeah, so the, the beds of ivory and the stretching themselves out on, on couches maybe maybe a little bit general uh, with respect to uh, just sort of complacency. But then as it gets narrowed down, when you hear this language of lambs from the flock, uh, and calves from the midst of, of the stall. Um, first of all, remember that, that Amos, by you know his original vocation, was, was a herdsman uh, in Judah. So you know you can kind of imagine him preaching this with particular um, you know venom. Uh, but uh, the the lambs and the calves these are this is sort of sacrificial language, uh, and the the flock of God which ought to have been shepherd were being uh, shepherded, was being preyed upon uh, by uh, the shepherds themselves, which is just this horrific uh, turnabout. You know, anytime you have, um, you know, God's order of creation where he's built in uh, roles of responsibility and protection and care, anytime you have those protectors suddenly preying upon uh, the weak uh, and the ones that God has given them, Um, It's hard to imagine a more tragic set of circumstances, but that's precisely uh, apparently what the Levites and the priests uh, have done. And then it just gets more and more pronounced, um, you know, the the idle songs, um, uh, the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music. Um, That's kind of a a cutting, um, almost sarcastic uh, word of judgment from the prophet. Um, because they're not like David, right? David, this great uh, composer of, of so many psalms and, uh, and liturgical songs, I mean, the, really the, the um, uh, foundational sort of uh, uh, worship guy for the Israelites, um, he, he, he would have been so um, outraged to see what generations later uh, the religious leadership of Israel was wasting their time on. And so Amos references him really to, to shame uh, the, uh, the religious leaders who are just sort of wasting their time, not creating anything that serves anyone, uh, but giving themselves over to idleness. Um, incidentally, next week, our, if you're on the three-year lectionary, um, you have Paul taking up the subjects of idleness in Second Thessalonians mm-hmm. um, in a really important description there, and a reminder that this isn't just an Old Testament Israel, Northern Kingdom problem. Um, this is for all of God's people. Idleness continues to uh, to plague uh, all of us, and, and religious leadership also. Um, and then it just continues. The you know drinking wine in bowls. Um, you know if if you're familiar with the uh, the sacrificial practices that God had given to His people, the priests were supposed to take the blood of the sacrifice from where the sacrifice was made, and then they would they would fill these these liturgical um, uh, bowls with the blood, and the, it would be passed up uh, to the altar. And that way the blood of, you know, the lowly person's sacrifice would make it all the way up to the altar of God. Well, here you have the bowls being used um, for something totally different. And it's hard to know, maybe, whether or not they were actually using the bowls intended for, for sacri- sacrificial blood to drink wine out of. Um, maybe this is just sort of an image to... Uh, uh, portray their their neglect of their responsibility. Either way, uh, the condemnation is is clear. They're supposed to be serving the people, uh, and they're serving themselves. They're supposed to be living humbly, uh, and they're living um, lives of arrogance and complacency and idleness. Um, and and you know that last portion of verse six really sums it up. They're doing all of these things, and they're not even grieved. They don't even care. Right, the people of, of Israel, right, the ruin of Joseph, um, they're going to be conquered. The Assyrian conquest is going to be this, this disaster uh, for the, tribe, the northern tribes. They're just going to be scattered and lost to history. 
and the leadership is at this point totally uninterested, couldn't care less, and um, you know what? A, what a sad state of affairs. Mm. I, I want to. I, I really appreciate the way you, you brought out in verse four when you were talking about the lambs and the the calves that are being eaten. You know, I mean, I think we're right to see these religious leaders literally eating lots of meat. Uh, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. We're we're pretty used to eating meat regularly, but for this people at this time, meat would not have been a regular part of their diet. And so for them to be eating like this all all the time indicates a, you know, again, that just lifestyles of the of the rich and famous. But but I like the way that you explained it too, that it's it's not just about what they're eating, but the way that they're actually mistreating the people that they're supposed to be taking care of. And and I was reminded of I think uh, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about the shepherds that God has placed over his people who instead of caring for the sheep under their care, they're actually just making themselves fat off of off of those sheep and it sounds like amos is is doing a similar thing here and then you know the irony the satire that amos has there with with comparing them to david um i'm, I'm trying to think of a, a a good example as to how that that you know think of someone who who wrote a, a simple kids song or, or maybe <laughs> it would be like it would be like calling the person who who wrote uh, baby shark mozart or something right. like that perhaps right, right? <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> you know and and that's kind of the the satire that you've got going on there the the drinking the wine out of bowls these these bowls that would have been used for for sacrifice you know i mean imagine well first of all you just don't drink wine out of a bowl you drink right. it out of a glass right but then on top of that to be drinking it out of something that should be used for religious purposes it's just he's he's really heaping it upon upon them and and then i, I do I, I think you're you're exactly right the the total tragedy of all of it is there at the end of verse six that they are not grieved over the ruin of joseph and and the name drop of joseph there in particular seems pretty significant when you think about what happens to joseph in the book of genesis with his brothers right i mean we're, we're talking about the religious leaders who are mistreating their own brothers uh, what what happened to Joseph in the book of Genesis? He he was mistreated by his own brothers, and and particularly there's there's a note when when he's thrown into the pit and he's waiting to be sold into slavery. What are his brothers doing? They're up there eating a meal, and, and it just it's so. I mean, what what an awful thing. And Amos says to the people of Israel here, "You're doing the same thing." Yeah, um, it's it's tragic. That's exactly right, and, and and we do well to recognize that, um, you know, that this sin belongs to us also. Um, you know, the the, the father that, um, you know, comes home comes home from work and uh, cracks open a beer, and then and then you know, the evening is his. Doesn't doesn't care at all for his children and his wife. Uh, the parents who use their children like, um, uh, essentially lifestyle choices and and. Um, uh, you know, don't don't devote themselves to uh, to raising their children in the way that they should go, um, the way husbands and wives treat one another, the way pastors treat their people. Um, it is so so easy to fall into exactly this trap because there are well, they call it just that that the trappings of authority um, in this world um, can be very glorious. It can be a um, uh, sort of a heady thing. To be put in a position of uh, of power, um, and it's just so gut wrenchingly awful when we, in our weakness and our sin, uh, allow ourselves to neglect uh, the people for whom that power was to be used. Um, but we do; we do it all of the time, uh, and and then we don't we don't even recognize, um, you know, the parents who who have the authority to, to bring their children to church, um, but choose rather to, um, you know, whatever, sleep in on Sunday morning, you know, how often do they fail to recognize that they are causing their own children to go without the gifts that God has given, uh, that their sort of um, inclination towards decadence or, or self-service um, comes at the cost uh, of what God would give uh, the people uh, under their care, and it's um, it's just a horrible thing to behold. It, it really is. It, it's it's terribly tragic, and and the ways that we we try to to justify it are just equally as as tragic. I mean, thinking of of the parents who who do all these wonderful things for their children, 
in this life, and yet they neglect that. I mean, that that very sort of woe that Amos speaks at the beginning. Woe to you who who are at ease, who who feel secure. You're you're comforting yourselves in in these works that you've made for yourself, all, all the while neglecting the very simple good things that that God has given you in His law. It, it's it is it's it's just a terrible tragedy, and I think every Every pastor's heart mourns over that that sort of complacency, and and as much as as Amos here, you know, calls the people out and, and proclaims woe, his his heart's there too, and we'll we'll see that as as the the book goes on, as as you see his heart for his own own brothers, yeah. um, but but it's you know you see the heart of a, of a pastor here, I think. Yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah. So that that last verse, then, to to make sure we we cover everything here, is is a bit ironic. In in verse one of the of the chapter, Amos has called the people the notable men of the first of the nations. Well, these first now he says will actually be the the first of those who go into exile. Take us through that that last verse of our text. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a um, neat turn of phrase where you have the notable men who have uh, gone out of their way to make sure that they're. Uh, their power and their authority and their um, general way of life is uh, maintained, uh, they, they're going to be first in line, you know, anytime there's a feast, they're going to be eating the meat, as you noted, they're going to be drinking the wine, uh, they're at the top of the ladder. Well, now, when the judgment comes, uh, they're going to continue to lead the way, but it will not be leading the way into the life of decadence and opulence that they had enjoyed previously, uh, you know they're going to be leading uh, at the front of the column as they're they're um, you know taken captive and and, and scattered and destroyed, um, and that's sort of a powerful picture. And it brings to mind obviously the uh, the teaching of our Lord with um, uh, in Matthew chapter twenty, the the last will be first and the first will be last. Um, you know if you make yourself first in this life, uh, you are making yourself. Uh, last with respect to spiritual things, uh, and it's the the last in this life uh, who so often uh, receive with all humility uh, and, and and gratitude uh, the the spiritual first things. And I think the as you noted before, the gospel reading with which this pericope from Amos is paired in the three year lectionary, uh, the rich man and Lazarus is is precisely that point. Um, you know, it's not it's not a, a condemnation of of riches and wealth per se, uh, but the nature of wealth uh, we all know it doesn't even have to be doesn't even have to be stated uh, is that it causes us to neglect that heavenly treasure. Um, conversely, being poor in this world, um, not that not that anybody uh, should make light of poverty or, or pretend that it's an easy thing. Nevertheless. Um, it does cause us to cry out, Lord, have mercy, and readily receive even the crumbs from the table uh, that God so graciously gives. And, and better to be that person, uh, better to be the one uh, humbly uh, kneeling before the Lord uh, than the one standing upright but with his back turned to God. Mm. Pastor Specker, with just under three minutes left now, summarize the morning for us and, and help us to, to see Christ within this text. Yeah, so there's just so much, so much here uh, to consider, and it, and it seems like such, such heavy law, and it is. Um, and I think we've we've maybe spent uh, most of the time talking about how that law that was applied to the Israelites and the, the religious leadership of the Israelites applies also to us in the New Testament Church and any of us with sort of vocational uh, authority granted by God, um, but. Anytime we're thinking of the day of the Lord and this impending judgment, uh, we absolutely have to think of it in terms of the cross of Christ, uh, that the uh, day of the Lord for the Israelites, the disaster that was the Assyrian conquest, um, was but a foreshadowing uh, of the uh, outpouring of God's wrath against sin uh, that would be uh, the crucifixion of his son. And from that perspective... um, there's there's tremendous comfort here. Um, that's that's the beautiful thing about God's law. Um, sinners are going to die. This is the the reality of sin. The wages of sin is death, as we all know. Um, better to be killed first by harsh, difficult law 
because with God's law comes hope of resurrection, restoration, redemption, uh, than to uh, better that than to die complacent and to miss out on what God has actually done. Because as horrible as this judgment is going to be, um, it's absorbed and received and taken, not by you and me, uh, but by Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course, that is the uh, that is the gospel of Christ crucified and risen uh, that He um, took on and overcame uh, that which should have killed us. Pastor Dan Speckert is the pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Pastor Speckert, thank you for your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Better to be killed now by God's law, to let that heavy, heavy law come upon us and convict us of our sin, show us who we truly are as sinners, that that God might do that alien work of his and put us to death with the law so that he might do that proper work of his and raise us to new life with Christ, the one who has taken our punishment, our death, the wrath of God upon himself in order that we might have his life, the life that he has won in his resurrection from the dead. It is a joy to hear that gospel with you each and every morning here on Sharper Iron. Thanks for spending the morning with us today. Talk to you again next week.